Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome, Giants fans, to episode 119 of the Talk is Cheap podcast, a New York Giants podcast on NJ.com. I'm your host, Dan Duggan, uh, joined as always, or at least uh, for the second time, by Ryan Dunleavy. Um, you know, I just got back from Minnesota from the Super Bowl, spent, uh, felt like a month, but it was only a week. Um, always kind of an exhausting week and a lot of, uh, just a lot of things going on. If, if people have never experienced Radio Row, it's, it's sort of something you have to, to kind of see to believe, uh, especially this year it was held inside the Mall of America food court, uh, which just kind of added to the whole zoo-like atmosphere. But, um, you know, we'll start with the game because we can get into some of my uh, Super Bowl week experiences and a lot of Giants related stuff that came out of that. But listen, there's no bigger story in the football world, obviously, than the Eagles win over the Patriots on Sunday night. Uh, I guess, Ryan, just, you know, you were home watching the game, obviously. Uh, what's the big takeaway for you from that game? Uh, the dirty dancing commercial. Was, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that was amazing. Uh, no, I mean, the Let biggest me just jump thing. in real quick there. They yeah. played that in the stadium, which I, it was weird. I didn't, you know, you don't, they don't usually play the commercials in the stadium, but since it was an NFL ad, they played it on the big board. And now this is a stadium full of Eagles and Patriots fans. And if I recall, it was played in the second half of a tense game and it brought the host down. I mean, that tells you how good a commercial is when, again, your biggest rivals are dying laughing at the commercial. So I just thought that was really funny. I texted you right away, like, please tell me they played that on TV because I knew I wasn't going to be able to get the video up uh, from uh, being in yeah. the stadium. But yeah, it was it was tremendous. And then the Giants posted like outtakes of it yesterday behind the scenes. I mean, it was tremendous. I got I got to tell I, when you texted me, I was like, I'm way, I'm way ahead of you, buddy. I'm already <laughs> I'm already I already had a headline written, started typing a uh, little secret about me for Giants fans is I'm a closet dirty dancing fan, I guess. So <laughs> love that movie. Love the soundtrack. Thought it was hilarious. No, uh, no shame in that. No shame in that. <laughs> My uh, biggest takeaway other than that uh, was that the Eagles are really good, and I'm dying to know. And I know our colleagues, Elliot Shore Parks and Matt Lombardo, who do a great job covering the Eagles, will be all over this for the next eight months. I'm dying to know what they do with Nick Foles because I've already been debating with some of my buddies. Should they trade him? Should they keep him? Should What's good enough for him? So my, th- my biggest takeaway was the Giants might – 
soon find out what it's like to be the Jets or the Dolphins or the Bills and have this team in your division where you're basically playing for second place uh, like they ha- like those AFC East teams have with the Pats for years. Because do I think the Eagles are going to be a 15-year dynasty? No, probably not. Those don't come around very often. But that team looked, especially once Carson Wentz is back, that could be a force to be reckoned with for, I don't know, five years. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing. It's you, you do look at it and they're, they're built to win for a while because they, it's not just Wentz either. They're pretty much their entire core uh, is locked up for the next couple of years. And that was one of the things I looked at last week when you try, you know, obviously you look at the Super Bowl teams and, and how can you duplicate what they've done. One of the things that jumped out the way that Howie Roseman has built that team is he locks up his young core players long term before they get the free agency. Now, we'll get to that topic because there's a, a pretty big one looming with the Giants and Odell Beckham Jr. And again, we'll, we'll dive deep into that. But I just think that's the way you have to manage your team. You have to draft well, of course. That's a number one. But you do not build your team the way the Giants did with the Band-Aid of just throwing a ton of money at the top guys in the market a couple of years ago in, in Jenkins and Harrison and Vernon. You build it by drafting well and then locking those guys up in year three or year four because now that you get them a little less than market, you keep them within your franchise, and that's what the Eagles have done so well. And that's why they're positioned for kind of a run here, it looks like. Because think about it, how many teams – have made the Super Bowl in the last couple of years that you said, oh man, that's a young team. They're probably built to win, whether it was Carolina or Seattle or kind of go down the list. And they don't, they fall off. So it, who's to say what will happen with the Eagles? But again, I think the point too is, you know, Wentz wasn't even in that game. So you're going to be building around uh, a very young quarterback with that core intact. That, that definitely is daunting. Uh, as far as Foles, it is going to be fascinating. I mean, you would think if they were willing to trade him, I mean, the asking price would be astronomical. I mean, like guys like, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, there was talk last offseason, he would have got a first-round pick. Uh, obviously, he didn't end up getting that, but that yeah. was off of just a couple of starts in the regular season. This guy just was lights out yeah. in the playoffs when you're a Super Bowl. But I don't know that they can trade him because of the kind of uncertainty with Wentz's timeline. Yeah. You know, he signed for one more year at a very affordable rate. You don't know when Wentz will be back. And you also, if – you know, God forbid, from a Philly perspective, something happens to Wentz again. You want to have a guy like you know Nick Foles yeah. waiting in the wings because he's shown he can take it. You know, to take it the distance. The thing I also is from a Giants perspective, covering these guys. I mean, how many playmakers did they have? Corey Clement, who I was, as Giants fans probably know by now, I was a Big Ten football writer covering Rutgers the last couple of years. And I thought Corey Clement was phenomenal at Wisconsin. I was stunned when he went undrafted. He None of what he did in the Super Bowl surprised me. But from a Giants perspective, it's not just Wentz slash Foles. It's Aguilar and Jeffrey and uh, Clement. And uh, I know LeGarrette Blunt's a free agent, but they have a lot of play. They have a lot of playmakers who you might not think of when you have your fantasy football draft in your first two rounds, but actual football players, they have a lot of guys that are hard to cover. Yeah. So I'll make the case that you could probably put the giants playmakers up with them. I think the difference with the Eagles is the offensive line. First and foremost, I mean, that touchdown run that blunt head, I mean, he didn't get touched on an off tackle run from you know, 20 yeah. yards out. And then the other thing is the play calling. I mean, and that is uh, the thing that should yeah. be encouraging. You would think for the giants, because as bad as Ben McAdoo was for two years, and maybe you want to pull my hair out watching just how awful his offensive schemes were. I mean, Doug Peterson, my goodness, he yeah. he is so creative. And, and again, Corey Clement, he went undrafted, right? Yeah. So he's obviously not, you know, Saquon Barkley. I mean, he's a great yeah. player and he and had a great game. But yeah. Peterson's just so great at finding mismatches and drawing up plays. I mean, the, the wheel route to Clement was just a great 
you know, play design. And obviously he made the play after he caught it. But I think that was the thing that just yeah. jumps off the page. And you would think a guy like Sherman, who is known as a very good play caller, yeah. that should excite Giants fans. Because, listen, uh, you line him up, uh, playmaker versus playmaker, I think the Giants are probably better. But, I mean, you can only do so much when you're running four-yard curls every row. <laughs> so I think if you, if you get a little creativity – with what the Giants have. And then, of course, the offensive line, again, you can't overstate uh, how important that is to, to Philly's success because they, they have a great offensive line. Yeah, two two people actually texted me during the game and said uh, this is when people are – that age-old debate that people always have, like how much of a difference does a coach make? And people say maybe more in football than in baseball, none in basketball, whatever. I You could have made a case that Doug Peterson was the MVP of that game. Nick Foles played great, but you could make a case the coach won them that Super Bowl. So, yeah. As I pointed out on NJ.com on Monday, I don't know if this was a, a scar or what could have been, but it's pretty amazing to think that – the, as, as far as everything was reported at the time, the Eagles wanted to hire Ben McAdoo two years ago. The Giants scrambled to say, well, listen, we can't lose our offensive coordinator to a division rival. They thought he was this young, up-and-coming hotshot. Yeah. So they, they scrambled to hire McAdoo. Eagles, quote-unquote, settled for Peterson. That that hire got trashed. And even after year one, you would have said, hey, the Giants made the right call. And who knows about Peterson? Uh, just shows how fast things change in this league. And, and kind of on that note, kind of the last Super Bowl uh, point I will make, and I put something up on this on NJ.com Monday morning. It's kind of a natural thing. Like, hey, how does your team get to the Super Bowl next year? Um, but I don't think it's crazy. I mean, a ton has to go the Giants' way. But I know it sounds crazy to talk about a 3-13 and team going to the Super Bowl. But you have to think of how many things went wrong for the Giants last season. I mean, there's just no way it can be that bad again. Um, and, and I talked to a ton of famous people. last words. Yeah. You like said that after week one, which was amazing. Um, but I talked to a bunch of people when I was out there, whether it be, you know, analysts or former players or former coaches, just a ton of people trying to get a lot of, you know, giants related content, which I'll be kind of rolling out this week. Uh, and, and the sentiment I got from so many of them, because a lot of it was based on Eli, that decision had kind of just come out. So I wanted to get people's reaction, whether it's Kurt Warner or, you know, former coaches, whatever about Eli. Do you think he still has it? And to a man, they all said, like, yes, I think he can still get it done with the right pieces around him. So, of course, that's going to be Dave Gettleman's challenge to put those right pieces around him. And, and we're talking really about the offensive line there. But people really feel like, you know, you they could make a turnaround. Now, I'm not saying they're going to go 13 and three and win the Super Bowl. But the NFL has shown that year to year, nothing is guaranteed. I mean, nothing is promised. I mean, the Eagles were last place at the NFC East last year. I mean, granted, they won seven games, not three, but they still have a six-game turnaround. That's, that's a pretty dramatic turnaround. The Giants have a six-game turnaround. They're, they're nine and seven, probably in the playoffs, and we've seen what they can do in that position. So, again, I don't think they're going to make the Super Bowl next year, but I also just don't think you can rule anything out in the way the NFL works. Yeah, I think it's a pretty easy fix to get to a playoff team getting to the Super Bowl. I know everybody says, you know, once you're in the tournament, blah, blah, blah. But did anybody think the Bills were going to make the Super Bowl or did anybody really believe, um, you know, the, the I guess the Jaguars made a run, but I never thought they were, a, you know, they probably could have been a Super Bowl team. But yeah, to get in the playoffs, I certainly see that for the Giants to get to the Super Bowl. I mean, I think that's asking a lot. Yeah, well, hey, no one thought the Eagles were going to win either as the yeah. underdog mass showed. But, yeah, totally, obviously a different situation. Um, so kind of moving off from the game, uh, really getting into the Giants, kind of nitty-gritty from the week. Um, some of their big-name you know, people were out there this week, whether it be Odell or Eli Manning or, or Pat Shermer, all in Minneapolis. I think, uh, as usual, the biggest headline maker was Odell. Um, I caught up with him on the red carpet of the NFL Honors Award Show on Saturday night. Um, you know, he was, he was kind of scurrying down the red carpet and he said hello really quick. And I thought that was kind of going to be it. 
he hasn't you know, he hasn't spoken since he got hurt. But I'll give Odell credit. I'll give uh, Giants PR man Corey Rush some credit. They I guess they recognized that I had you know given up my Saturday to go try to get Odell quote. <laughs> so they they came back and stopped and talked to me and reported from Giants.com. Um, and you know the first couple of questions, of course, Giants.com is not going to ask about uh, contract stuff anyways. First couple of questions just about his injury and you know Odell said he's progressing well. And I mean anyone who's on social media has seen the videos. You know he's running on the anti gravity treadmills. He's doing footwork drills. So he's he's clearly. Uh, on track and, and one kind of funny note i asked him like oh do you think he'll be ready for the spring and he said what's the spring so <laughs> i don't think we're going to see odell at otas i think he discovered last year the joys of spending your spring in los angeles training out there rather than coming uh to otas now he didn't say that definitively but when he had, when he said what's spring and and he said that his focus is being ready for week one i think that was a pretty strong indication that he will not be joining the team for uh, voluntary activities but anyways the the real kind of issue was you know, I asked him about the contract. Now, you ask that question, you have no idea. He might just say, oh, I'm not focused on that. You know, that's my agent's job. But, oh, no, Odell made sure to kind of, you know, fire the first salvo that he wants the the, the contract extension this offseason. You know, I think he said it's kind of it's just time to get it over with. Um, you know, he had a kind of a funny little line about wanting to pick up furniture for his house. I mean, I didn't know a sectional coach was, you know, in the balance here as, as Odell gets prepared to sign a $100 million contract. But nonetheless, the point is, you know, he wants to set up roots somewhere. He doesn't want to go year to year. That's, you know, obviously totally understandable. Every player in the NFL is in the same position, but not every player in the NFL, you know, is one of the most dynamic, you know, players in the league. So he wants the extension. You know, I've made my point pretty clear. I think that they should get it done. Uh, I haven't really talked to you about it. Where do you stand on, you know, Odell and the extension this offseason? Yeah, I mean, I I say give it to him as quickly as possible uh, just for all the things of he's you don't want it to be a distraction. I think Pat Shermer was pretty clear that he doesn't want any distractions, that he wants a good locker room, that he is going to he recognizes all the problems that the Giants had last year that are controllable. Coaches always talk about what's controllable, right? And like you want to say injuries weren't controllable, but all the stuff that was controllable, all the distractions, all the. Uh, selfishness that seemed to be coming out of there. Uh, I think he wants to get rid of that. So Odell's contract is going to be the main thing. It's going to be what you ask about every time he has a touchdown. It's going to be what you ask about, you know, any, anytime he sits out a game, does this impact your contract? I, the giants need to get it done. They need to lock him up uh, as far as not only just being one of the best players, but I mean, last year, the offense looked just pathetic without him. I know there were other guys out too, but I, what I would have really liked to see, honestly, is the offense without some of the other guys, without Marshall, without uh, Perkins, without some of the other guys who got injured and Beckham and see how much of a difference he would have made just being one player, you know? So well, uh, you could argue that you saw that in 2016 and the offense was <laughs> well, considerably better because it was funny. I, you well, know, they I had, the- she- but they had, they had a healthy Sterling Shepard then, and they had Victor Cruz. Oh, uh, right. they, he had a little more help in 2016 and 20, um, 2017. I mean, it was literally, they had nobody. So right. I, 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 I think you got to lock him up. I'm with you on that one. I, I'd love to debate it with you and have some sort of beat writers head to head. No, they shouldn't. No, they shouldn't sign him. Let him play out the injury. No, I mean, uh, trust that he's working his butt off and give him the contract. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we may not debate the topic, uh, you know, should they or shouldn't they, but I think there's still a ton of layers and I'll, I'll kind of make a point, um, that I made on Twitter that I, I just can't believe some of the stuff people push back on. Cause it's clear 
that there's a segment of the you know the population of the fan base who just doesn't like the guy. And listen, I get it. He's a that's the definition of being polarizing. You're gonna have people who are on one extreme, people on the other. I, I'd like to say I'm somewhere in the middle, but the thing I will say is. People said, and when I pointed out how I said his leverage is the 2017 Giants offense, and, and people said, well, the 2016 Giants offense stunk. Very true, because the offensive line still stunk, and the head coach slash play caller still stunk. But that terrible 2016 offense averaged, you know, 19 points a game, or I, I should say, plus the couple of games he played this season, they averaged like 19.9 points per game. In the games he missed this season, they averaged 13.9s per game. Yeah. So you're talking about a full touchdown. And again, yeah, I know Brandon Marshall and whoever else was in the lineup. I'm talking about this one guy is, I would say, after having watching all of the games last two seasons, is worth a full touchdown because nobody else takes six-yard slants to the house with the regularity that he did. Nobody affects the defense the way that he did. So the fact that the offense stunk in 2016, it, it could have been so much worse. And, and it, we saw that in 2017. So he's just such a difference maker. And, and I think you put him in a good offense like Pat Shermer's. And if you're if he's going to affect the touchdown that way, then you're probably scoring 30 points a game instead of you know 24 points a game without him because uh, he I just think he's that much of a difference maker. So I, I don't even buy that argument that well the offense was bad in 2016. Well yes we saw in 2017 just how bad it could be without Odell. Yeah, uh, to me it's not even a question really. I, I, and the the idea of I would here's a question for you, Dan. Would we even be talking about this if he was healthy? Like, do, do you think they would it would even be a question of whether they would lock him up if he was healthy? Or is this just because he's injured and now there's some uncertainty? Will he be the same player? Blah, 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 blah. Or you, you think that uh, the Giants would still be hesitant to sign him if he if uh, he was healthy? I think there's probably two facts. I think definitely the injury probably gives a little bit of pause, although I remember talking to John Mara uh, a couple weeks after the injury, and he said it really wouldn't affect you know their long-term plans because you know it's a broken bone. I mean, they heal. Yeah. It's not the yeah. type of thing that should linger. I'm sure yeah. Giants yeah. fans are knocking on wood. They've seen uh, yeah. the history of their wide receivers not recovering from, from major injuries. But, that I mean, that – He's a 25-year-old guy who broke a bone early in the season, so there's no real reason to think that that's going to affect him down the road. But I think the other thing is you had a change in leadership, too. If Jerry Reese yeah. was here, you kind of already probably knew where he was thinking if you're John Mayer or if you're Odell Beckham's yeah. camp. You, you knew where things were yeah. headed. We don't really know with Dave Gettleman, but the thing that I will point out, because I think, again, people have just a very wrong perception based on you know a guy like D'Angelo Williams ripping yeah. Gettleman every chance he gets, D'Angelo Williams was an aging running back. Yeah, You cut those guys every single time if you're a good GM, especially one who's taking over a team that's in cap hell. Yeah. That's the easiest guy. Cut him. See you later. G- you know, yeah. Goodbye. Um, uh, Steve Smith, he was an aging wide receiver. Yeah. You cut the guys like that who were making yeah. too much money. Neither one of those guys went on to do anything after they left, and especially yeah. for the price they would have commanded. He Basically, one of the final straws, if you believe the reports out of Carolina, was – he wouldn't extend Greg Olson. Greg Olson barely played this year. Again, these are sound decisions. The, the ones that actually matter, the ones that relate to Od- – so let me go back real quick. So Brandon Marshall, you might be a little concerned. Yeah. But the ones that actually <laughs> pertain – yeah, <laughs> the ones that pertain to Odell are the Luke Keekleys and the Cam Newtons and the Kwan Shorts, the young core players who either were drafted by Gettleman or were already there, but were still young and in their prime. And he extended them to lucrative extensions because, again, it's going back to that point, the Eagles, that – is how you build your team. If they wait till the last possible minute with Odell, let's say they make him play out the fifth-year option, then they franchise him for a year. 
what do they think the price tag is going to be in two years, assuming he continues to produce? I mean, the cap is only going to go up. The the other wide receivers are going to continue to raise the bar as they hit free agency. Yeah, you're gonna it's gonna be penny wise, pound foolish, unless they just don't want to keep him here long term. Which again, we you know, hey, I can't see that being the case. But yeah. then in that case, sure, I guess just you know get these next two three years at a yeah. at a decent rate and then wash your hands with them. But he's still only going to be you know 27, 28 yeah. at that point, still in his prime. So I don't think that's the prudent way to go. But I just think if they wait, they're going to cost themselves down the road because the asking price is going to be through the roof. I what I liked was the way Shermer handled it at his press conference. He didn't come in there and, you know, uh, fawn over Odell. He came in and said, look, Odell's a great player. We're going to throw him the ball. But him and I have to sit down and talk about the way he reps the Giants. And I think that probably was something from from John Mara through Pat Shermer. And um, that I thought that was very telling. And, you know, you talk to Odell and, you know, we've seen Odell's tweets. Uh, he seems fully on board with Pat Shermer. I have no doubt that Pat Shermer, when they talked for the first time, said, look, man, like I, I love you as a player. But, you know, if he was willing to go out publicly, stand in front of microphones on national TV and basically talk, dance around Odell's behavior issues, uh, then I have no doubt that in private they talked about it. And if Odell's on board, then I don't see I really don't see any drawback right but don't be fooled no matter what Odell says behind closed doors he's going to do something on the field it's just it's how he's wired he's (laughs) he's passionate and that certainly crossed the line at times so I don't see but passionate and crossing the lines different you know you don't have to beat up a field goal net just because you're (laughs) passionate right so I I, my question is and and I think this is a, a point that some fans have is can you really commit to this guy you know, long-term without him showing kind of progress in that maturity department. Because, I mean, he didn't play a lot of games this year, and he, for the most part, was well-behaved. But, of course, there was the infamous, you know, dog-peeing celebration, which yeah. was just such a bad look. And, you know, John Mary, you could, you could probably, you know, imagine his reaction in the owner's box when he yeah. saw that. So, uh, they, but it, it's just part of the deal. I mean, I, I think it gets blown out of proportion because, as a, you know, I made a point in, in a piece on NJ.com. He never gets in trouble off the field. Yeah. And... More importantly, because listen, that should be under that should be a given for your professional athlete. If you're any citizen, not not getting arrested shouldn't be a a big plus. But we've seen the NFL; it's not necessarily a guarantee. I think the bigger thing is he's not a problem in the locker room. Like we all talk about distraction, distraction, distraction. His teammates never echo that. So I've I've kind of stopped using that term for him because it just isn't the case. I mean, I I think one kind of thought that was connected last season was McAdoo's kind of inconsistent punishments. I think was detrimental, but that's on McAdoo, not Odell. I mean, people might say, well, Odell is in control for this. Why am I getting in control for that? I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but I can at least understand the logic there. But again, that's, that's really not Odell's problem because it, it, the fact that he is so well-liked by his teammates, uh, you know, they, they, they see the kicking at stuff and they probably roll their eyes and in the yeah. tantrum, they roll their eyes. But at the end of the day, they know he works hard. He's he's good to them. He's always generous, giving them free free stuff that goes a long way, even with millionaires. Uh, and he wants to win. I mean, so yeah. the, even the passion stuff. Again, they just it, it doesn't. It's not as big of a detriment to the team as I think it's perceived on the outside. Watching the NFL honors this weekend and Randy Moss and Terrell Owens going into the Hall of Fame. Right. I mean. You, you could make a case that there's some similarities between Beckham and those guys, right? And uh, they're both Hall of Famers now, so Giants fans need to ask themselves, would they have liked either one of those guys in their prime back then, those those two guys? Neither one was, you know, a uh, – neither one uh, – both were always in the headlines, right? T.O. Yeah. and uh, Randy Moss, and both were dominant players. You take the, 
do you take the whatever occasional headache? And like you make a great point. He's never an off field. We're not talking about a guy who, you know, like uh, Sheldon Richardson was with the Jets driving 115 miles an hour and getting arrested or the other guy with the Jets who just got arrested and yeah, you Robbie know, Anderson. Yeah, yeah, Robbie Anderson and to the cop. And this is a guy who, you know, if the worst thing he's doing is punching, uh, punching uh, field goal nets and peeing on the field. I mean, do you take that for uh, Terrell Owens, Randy Moss type talent. Right, and the thing is, too, you know, Moss had some off-field stuff, and he, and the thing that separates Moss, I mean, listen, Moss's talent was unbelievable, but he dogged it at times. Like, again, with Dell, you really can never accuse him of that. I mean, T.O. was probably maybe more similar to to um, Odell, but also T.O. had problems in the locker room. So, again, Odell really hasn't even had that. I'm not saying he's on their level necessarily because they're different types of players, but kind of the two big strikes against those guys don't really apply, um, you know, to Odell. But the last one I'll kind of make on this, unless you have more on it, is I think that they run a real risk if they don't get it done of really starting off on a bad foot. Now, you might say that's capitulating to the player, but if he doesn't get his extension this offseason, again, I, I already don't think he's coming to OTAs, you're going down the holdout road. I really can't see another way. I mean, he didn't last year when Aaron Donald, who was you know in the same draft class in the same position, he held out, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, into the season. I mean, maybe a week or two into the season. Odell was kind of the good soldier and showed up on day one of training camp and but don't think he doesn't realize that he was playing on a, you know, pennies on the dollar for a player of his caliber. I know we'd all take that that uh, annual salary, but for, you know, relatively speaking, uh, a cheap contract, suffers an injury in a meaningless preseason game, you know, fights to get back as quick as possible, and then suffers a, you know, a serious injury uh, again on that minimal contract. He, there's no way I, I just can't see him coming on the field without a contract because. Again, just look at the holdouts. Aaron yeah. Donald, I said, held out into the season. Le'Veon he Bell came held- back. Aaron Donald came back the day, but like the day before the regular season started. He went the Michael Strahan route and okay. just said, "I'm not, I'm not doing." He didn't the play. Maybe he, he might not have played the opener then. Okay. then because he, he definitely if it, it, it bled into the season. Whereas Bell, I think, came back right at the end of the preseason. Le'Veon yeah. Bell at Pittsburgh, and both those guys are first team All Pros. So you got to tell me it matters that they miss yeah. training camp or OTAs yeah. or anything. So Odell sees that. If if for nothing else, if it's not even just kind of posturing for the contract just the injury concerns listen i'm not going to go in in the third preseason game and get my ankle rolled up by some safety trying to make the team i'm going to just chill in la i'll train and i'll show up and i'll kind of do the bare minimum and i'm going to go light it up on the field and then now let's see the negotiating after i put up 1500 yards next year (laughs) you know what i mean i think it's they have the leverage right now which is great which to me says use it to your advantage and maybe save a few bucks. He's going to probably trade chasing every last dollar for the long-term security. And listen, the immediate, Hey, here's the signing bonus. Here's, you know, $40 million in your pocket. That matters obviously. So I think rather than using a nice couch, a <laughs> really nice couch, uh, rather than using leverage to, you know, squeeze them and play hardball, use the leverage to say, listen, you're going to get 18 million a year instead of 20 million a year or whatever it may be. And again, you take away the injury concerns from him, his, his family's family's families will be set for generations. So uh, I, I think that's the way I would approach it. Cause again, I think a holdout is a very real possibility and the hoopla that would surround an Odell Beckham jr. Holdout would, you know, blow out of the water. Yeah. Le'Veon Bell or Aaron Donald. I mean, we don't even know how long Aaron Donald held out. That's how minor of a story was. I promise you people will know how long Odell holds out if it comes to that. I would have loved to be on a fly on the wall real quick for when uh, Bell and when Le'Veon Bell and Odell were hanging out on Saturday night before the Super Bowl, and they sent out that picture of Odell uh, trying to, you know, with his funny cat.
caption of trying to convince Bell to join the Giants. You don't think Odell was like, "Tell me about your holdout." What? What? You know? Tell me about your What you do? How you? How do you? How'd you handle it? What you think of it? If you don't think that conversation came up, come on. Yeah, well, Odell needs to be careful though. You don't want to be. He's recruiting Le'Veon Bell. He's recruiting Jarvis Landry. Hey, pal, if you want that contract, the every last dollar you can get, stop inviting high-priced free agents. I mean, I know obviously a lot of that is just kind of jokes among friends, but if he looks yeah. at it from a business sense, he might say, "Hey, Orleans Darkwood looks a little bit better at two million than you do at twelve million, Le'Veon." So, uh, just something to keep in mind there. Um, and then the other kind of thing that that really jumped out on the Giants' front um, from being out in Minnesota was Eli Manning's. You know, spoke to a small group of reporters. He was doing a promotional event for. Uh, for courtyard um courtyard must look at the nfl and man we didn't get our money's worth because whatever ad they did with, uh, with eli was not quite on the uh, the same level as dirty dancing um but nonetheless you know it was, it was really his first time speaking since all of the changes came into effect you know obviously since Shermer uh came on board uh so it's eli he does he you talk about odell kind of gives you a headline like that uh eli not so much but you know it's still he did. He definitely didn't make any points that like he's going to be unhappy if they take a quarterback at number two. I think he, you know, he kind of as always um, puts the right message out publicly, and, and he just seems to understand kind of the situation. So, I mean, again, what was your takeaway from from Eli's comments? Just I guess mostly about the fact that uh, he's going to be a starter next year, but really nothing's guaranteed beyond that. Here's what I think is interesting, and again, I haven't been in giant in the Giants locker room yet, but. Uh, on a regular basis. But here's what I think is interesting. So, you know, he said he's not going to give the cold shoulder to anybody, which basically was a stamp of approval to draft a quarterback at number two. Not that, you know, not that that's, you know, not that the Giants needed it or whatever, but I mean, they got it right. So they can go ahead and draft a quarterback at number two and Eli Manning's not going to throw a fit. Not that he ever would. But to me, the most interesting quote was when he said, it's not your job to mentor somebody. Uh, so I think that's really interesting because like if there to me, there's a difference, right? There's a difference between what um, what Kurt Warner was asked to do for Eli Manning way back when or what, you know, uh, Josh McCown might be asked to do for the Jets if they pick Baker Mayfield. There's a difference between like, OK, you are here to basically show this guy how to play in the NFL and what it seems like maybe Manning did with Davis Webb, which was all the quarterbacks are in the same room. So they all learn together and he has more experience. So he helps the guy, but he would do that whether his backup was Davis Webb or Dan Duggan or, you know, any, whoever, David Carr, whoever his backup, Jared Lorenzen, whoever his backups have been in the past. It's like, oh, well, I'm the quarterback. So I lead the quarterback meetings and whatnot. To me, that's a little different than like actually, you know, mentoring a quarterback. So I guess my takeaway was I thought it was interesting that even if the Giants pick somebody number two, Eli's not going to go out of his way to mentor the guy as much as he's just going to take the lead of the quarterback room just like a quarterback should. Right. And I think that's the right approach. I mean, again, because you're you're bringing Eli back to be your starting quarterback. And you're not putting an end date on it that, hey, it's just you're you're keeping the seat warm. I mean, Warner was obviously in a different situation. He was kind of trying to get his career back on track, kind of knew what he was coming into. Yeah. Um, but and I, I talked to Warner about this when I was out there. And, and basically he said, like, you if you're confident in yourself and obviously Eli is. You have no problem helping anybody else. Uh, he said, you know, even if you don't know if you're the best guy, I always want to compete against the best guy. 
Um, you know, he said, I don't want to hold my secrets over here and not help the organization be the best just so I can play a little longer. I want to say, yeah, I'm helping him as much as I could, and I still beat him out. Um, and I think that's how these guys all look at it. They're all very confident. They're all very competitive. And then, But then Warner kind of finished his thought with, you know, I don't see any reason why Eli wouldn't be the best teammate for a young guy. Um, I think it would, he would handle it only with class like he always does. So, again, I mean, Davis Webb is a testament to that. Granted, it, it, he was a third-round pick, not number two pick. But he raved about everything you know he kind of got from just learning from Eli. But yeah, I mean, hey, they have Pat Shermer, they have an OC and a quarterbacks coach to be named, which we'll get to in a minute. That's their job to yep. coach up Josh Rosen or Sam Donald, whoever. Eli Manning's job is to win football games. But in the process, he's not going to be Brett Favre and, and you know to use Eli's word, give a cold shoulder. But yeah. it, I mean, the, if that kid isn't learning from Eli Manning, it's on the, it's on the kid. Eli yeah. Manning's job again is to. His job is to work with Odell Beckham Jr. and and you know Evan Ingram yeah. to win games. And again, the quarterback should be there yeah. learning from him, you know, just through osmosis, not so much. I mean, I don't think Eli needs to be taking an hour out of his day at the end of the day to say, hey, listen, kid, this is you know, yeah. you have to be proactive and you have to learn if you're if you're the draft pick. Uh, so I don't I don't have any problem with him saying that. I think that's the, kind of the right attitude to have. Yeah, I think he should be somewhere between Brett Favre and like a Ryan Fitzpatrick, Josh McCown type, because the reason those guys are starting quarterbacks is to mentor the next starting quarterback. Um, That's why they still have jobs in the NFL. But you can't be Brett Favre either. So, yeah, I think, you know, Eli is probably right to be somewhere in the middle of those two guys. Right. And and so I guess we'll kind of wrap up on the point I alluded to here. And it's always a little dangerous on a weekly podcast to get too much into kind of news that, that changes, uh, you know, by the hour, by the day. But as we sit here right now and record this on Tuesday morning, the Giants do not have an offensive coordinator and also not a quarterbacks coach, which Pat Trammer said they would hire a quarterbacks coach. But obviously the OC is kind of the, the big item. Um, again, this maybe they hire a guy Tuesday afternoon and, and this whole discussion becomes moot like it was when we thought Jack Del Rio was the leading defensive <laughs> coordinator candidate uh, the last time we recorded a podcast. And then a few days later, uh, they went with James Betcher from Arizona. So uh, bear with us on the kind of fluid nature here. But, I mean, this offensive coordinator search is kind of dragged a bit. So I think we can at least um, address where things stand now. Uh, I know you've kind of really been honed in on that because I talked to Pat Shermer uh, at the same uh, award show that I spoke to Odell. And he was pretty, you know, close to the vest. I think that's going to be kind of Pat Shermer's mo. Uh, he's not going to drop hints or, or give updates when, when something's ongoing like this. So uh, not a lot to discern from that. But he did. I asked him if they've done interviews, and he kind of answered and went a different route, saying, "You know, I have an idea of what I want to do," which to me kind of reinforced the belief a lot of us have that he's targeting someone he knows well because he's not casting a wide net and bringing in, you know, the Todd Haley's of the world to interview. He, he seems to know who he wants. and It's more just a waiting game. So where do you think, uh, you know, things are going to go there? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. He didn't hire a defensive coordinator that he's worked with before. He went out and hired somebody he thought was the best was uh, the best available guy, whereas offensive coordinator, he's hiring somebody he knows. So uh, we all think he's waiting on Kevin Stefanski, uh, which is crazy, right? The Giants waited for the Vikings to lose to hire <laughs> Matt Germer, and now they're going to wait for the Vikings to hire a uh, offensive coordinator to see if they can hire Stefanski. If the Vikings don't hire Kevin Stefanski, uh, I think it's pretty clear that that's Pat Shermer's number one guy, but the Vikings are going to drag this out. Adam Schefter from ESPN reported that they might wait 10 days uh, from after the season ended to talk to Eagles uh, quarterbacks coach John Filippo. So if the Vikings have to wait 10 days just to talk to him, then and Shermer's committed to waiting till the Vikings make their decision, which 
which obviously the Vikings are replacing Shermer, uh, is complete the circle, right? Um, <laughs> they, uh, then, uh, the giants could really drag this out. Uh, so I think it's probably Stefanski. Uh, but what if the Vikings hire Stefanski, what do they do by then? I don't know. Will Daryl Bevel, who everybody seems to think is in the mix. Will he be gone by then? I mean, Daryl Bevel's a pretty accomplished offensive coordinator. Spent the last six years with the Seahawks, four before that with the Vikings, has worked with Brett Favre, has worked with Russell Wilson. Uh, Everybody knows the name because he made like the worst call in Super Bowl (laughs) history. Uh, And then uh, again, when Malcolm Butler had that interception on the one yard line in Super Bowl 49. uh, But he has had a I mean, he's had top 10 offenses four years in a row. Is he going to want to come and be an offensive coordinator where he's not calling plays? I mean, he has a he has deep ties to Brad Childress, who obviously has deep ties to Shermer. That's kind of the two degrees of separation between them. Uh, So maybe he will do that just to work with Shermer. Maybe they know each other well and, you know, you know, respect each other through Trildress. They've probably been in the same room quite a bit, but uh, I don't know that to me, the job of Pat Shermer's offensive coordinator, where you have game plan and don't have play calling responsibilities is a job for a first time coordinator, a guy on the rise, a guy who's young and, you know, kind of needs the title. And, you know, it's a stepping stone position for a Deuce Staley or for a, uh, De Filippo or Forrest Stefanski more than it is for a Daryl Bevel. Yeah, I mean, I agree. But Bevel's name only really surfaced recently. I think we were all kind of focused on uh, Stefanski and then to a lesser extent, maybe the Eagles guys. I mean, I haven't heard De Filippo's name at all uh, related to the Giants. And I think the thing you have to keep in mind there is he has his sights. He's within reach of becoming a head coach. I mean, his name came up. I believe he might have interviewed for a job uh, this this postseason. Cardinals. Um, Right. Okay. So does he really, I mean, he's in a great situation. You're the quarterback's coach, um, you know, for, again, we just talked about how great the Eagles are. I'm sure the Giants fans love that, but great situation there. You work with Carson Wentz and it's, you're probably looking at like, this is, I got one more year, no matter what I do before I really get back into the head coaching uh, carousel. So does he gain anything by coming to the Giants and sure it's a, you know, quote unquote promotion as an offensive coordinator, but again, you're not calling plays, very unsettled situation. I mean, he's been an offensive coordinator before, so it's not like he needs that on his resume. Yeah. So I, I think people would recognize that this guy, uh, you know, if they think he's legit, he doesn't need one year as an apprentice yeah. to, to really do much there. Uh, so I, I think the thing that really is interesting to me, if the Vikings are willing to wait 10 days and, and the way NFL coaching contracts work are just a nightmare for us and just seem like a nightmare for everybody because they're not public. You don't you never know who's signed for how long. You can't find it out easily through, you know, the same back channels. We find out other stuff. Um, but so it seems like that 10 days is written into his contract. I would hope that the Eagles would allow him you know, if his contract can be up in 10 days, I would hope they would just allow him to interview now. Cause what do you, you kind of just sticking it to the guy then just to drag out the process. But if the Vikings are willing to wait 10 days, if I'm Kevin Stefanski, I'm taking that as a pretty good sign that they're pretty high on Filippo. because again, why are they waiting 10 days? I'm right here. I've been in the organization for like a decade. So I would think that maybe just the fact that they're willing to wait, maybe that kind of gooses the process along here. And Stefanski, you know, uh, you know, bird in the hands were two in the bush. If the giants want you, you're going to roll the dice and maybe the Giants get impatient and hire a guy while you're waiting. And then De Filippo comes on, uh, yada, yada. So I think that there's a, a risk involved in that. Um, and, but the thing is too, you know, me and you both have college backgrounds. 
it's not as essential. You don't need the the coach, the coordinator in place for recruiting purposes, which yeah. obviously is a huge thing. As soon as the season ends in college, if you lose your coordinator, it's a disaster. It's a five alarm blaze. <laughs> it's not really like that in the NFL. I mean, they can't work with the players now. Granted, the the sooner the better. Um, but if it's Stefanski, a guy who is super familiar with Shermer from working in the last two years, they're not going to lose anything, you know, by a two-week lag. Uh, but if, if it's not Stefanski, if if the Vikings do decide he's the guy, uh, I think the guy to keep an eye on is Deuce Staley, and, and he really fits the bill of what you're talking about as far as a first year. Uh, it would be a first-time OC who would really benefit from moving up the ladder because he's a guy who's going to be a head coach. I would say uh, just from being around Eagles running backs this week. They raved about him, and, and they didn't talk about him being a coordinator down the road. They talked about him being a head coach, just the way he kind of has respect of the players, you know, commands the room, all those kind of intangible things. So I think he needs a few more tangible things on the resume to show you know, owners and GMs that he's a legit uh, head coach candidate. So the, a logical step was to be go, go be an OC, has a long history with Pat Shermer, wouldn't have the pressure of calling plays, but would know what Pat Shermer likes in his system and to be able to relay that message. And again, a guy who would really relate well to the players. So I think if they can't get Stefanski, who's kind of considered maybe a rising star, and again, Shermer's very familiar with, I think Staley makes a lot of sense as a you know a backup plan, and he's probably not a guy um, who's going to you know get a look elsewhere. So uh, I, think those, I think those are the two guys. Definitely Bevel seems like he's entered the mix, but... I think we're going to get some resolution here sooner than later. It just kind of feels like a game of chicken and, and everyone's waiting on the Vikings to make a move and, and they just seem content to just kind of keep chilling and, and, and see where things turn out. Not not a bad time to be the Vikings, I guess. You were, you know, a, one bad game from the Super Bowl and now the rest of the NFL is going to wait for you. Yeah, right. Who, who would have thought it? But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that, that kind of wraps up uh, Super Bowl week. Uh, I think our next podcast will probably, I mean, the Combine is uh, is right around the corner. I don't know if I need to unpack my suitcase here because I'm going to be right back on the road. But uh, we'll definitely do a podcast either before or right after the Combine because, again, this this year the pre-draft process is going to be a lot different for the Giants. It's been a long time since I've had a pick this high. So uh, it will be really interesting to to kind of monitor that process, and we'll definitely dive dive deep into that uh, You know, starting with our next podcast. But uh, for now, thanks a lot, Ryan. It was fun. And uh, we ask you guys to, to rate and review uh, this podcast. It, it helps the show grow and, and move up those those iTunes rankings so even more people will listen. It's, I never really knew to campaign for that, but I, I saw our Eagles podcast does it, and it, it seems to help them. And I, I know how many people on social media are always asking, when's the next podcast? So uh, just throw you know a rate and review there to, to let the, the rest of the world know who's missing out on this show. Uh, and then other than that, I would just say you know keep listening, and we will keep you filled in all offseason on all the Giants news.